Would you take your Bible with me and turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to consider verses 17 through 21 this morning. And actually, I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. Last week on Easter Sunday, we uh, we looked at John 3.16 together um, and explored uh, several things that we saw there in John 3.16, which is one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture, if not the most well-known verse in all of Scripture. And this morning, we're going to unpack the rest of what Jesus says to the Pharisee Nicodemus in verses 17 through 21. Uh, 76 years ago, yesterday, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged uh, for his role in the plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Um, that's a teaser for tonight. Um, come back for the Sunday evening service because we're going to look at the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. John has prepared a short biographical sketch and some encouragements from the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who that is, totally fine. John's going to tell you everything you need to know. So come back tonight at 6 p.m. for our Sunday evening service. John will do that. And we're also going to spend some time praying for our church planters and missionaries uh, this evening also. Um, and, uh, and before the service at 5 PM, there's dinner. Just come as you are, show up at 5 PM and the hospitality team will have dinner for you this, this evening. That's tonight, Sunday evening service. John three, I'm going to read verse 16 and then we'll consider together verses 17 through, through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Again, last week we explored John 3.16 on Easter Sunday and the the reality and the implications of the death of Christ and the, the resurrection of Christ for our lives. And the celebration continues this morning because Jesus is, in fact, alive and his word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword and it uh, it pierces us to the and cuts us to the heart um, this morning as we consider what's contained here. And and the, remember, though, that this text that we're looking at uh, in John 3.16 and verse 17 through 21 uh, comes in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Um, and this Pharisee Nicodemus comes to him and asks him several questions, or he makes a statement, um, and Jesus then, they have a back and forth. Um, Nicodemus then asks him several questions based on what Jesus communicates to him. and. How does Jesus move into this final section of this conversation? Because you'll see the conversation ends in verse 17, or in verse 21, excuse me. Because uh, w- you see the quotations end there. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that the red letters stop, and then the next, the next uh, little story is, is, uh, is set up. So at the ver- end of verse 21, we see the end of the conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Um, 
And what came before and where we find ourselves this morning is a, a conversation in verses 1 through 8 about the new birth. Jesus communicates to Nicodemus how one must be born again in the necessity of the new birth in the life of the believer. Um, before new birth, before the wind that the Spirit brings and blows on people by His will, uh, people are spiritually dead. There is no, uh, there is no spiritual life in people uh, who the Spirit has not brought new birth to. Jesus unpacks that, and Nicodemus is confused by that. And in verse 9, he says, how can these things be? Now, what Jesus does immediately following is explain to Nicodemus his authority. Where does his authority to talk about something like new birth, where does that come from? And it comes from the fact that Jesus has no beginning. He has no origin. He has no start, but also that he is from heaven. And he, he came down from heaven. Every other teacher in the history of the world has a definite beginning and originated here on earth. This is different for the person of Jesus Christ. He has no beginning and he, he, he is from heaven. He came down from heaven to communicate truth about God and his plan of redemption. And so he has the authority to speak on these things, and not only because he is, uh, not only because he uh, observed them, but because he authored them. Uh, Jesus is the author of life, and he is the author of our faith, and he is the author of creation. So uh, Jesus has the authority to speak on these things, and then he fires into this section, in verses 14 and 15, where he explains how God's plan of redemption is going to be revealed. How is God going to save his people from sin and death? And right there in verse 14, Jesus points backwards into the Old Testament to point forward to how the salvation that he brought was going to be accomplished. Um, he points back to this story in Numbers where Moses lifts up the bronze serpent in the wilderness so those who were bitten by fiery serpents would be saved. And then he points forward to the fact that he himself, Jesus, will be lifted up on the cross, uh, crucified for the forgiveness of the sins of those who the Father has given to him. That's the, the reality of how God's plan of redemption is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus continues to pull back the curtain and show us and unveil the, the reality that he is the fulfillment of everything that has come before. And everything that God has promised prior in the Old Testament is coming to a conclusion and a fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And then last week, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, last week we talked about God's motivation for sending Jesus into the world, the love that he has, and the love that he desires to put on display in his character. I mean, we talked about the threat that is so present and apparent in our world, the threat of death and eternal punishment. And then he reiterates Jesus' own mission that he came to be lifted up to die on the cross for forgiveness of sins and to grant eternal life to those who are joined to him in faith. That's the message of John 3.16. And so that brings us then to sort of the last few verses here in this conversation 
verses 17 through 21, where Jesus really begins to unpack what this all means. What does this have to do? How does this actually work itself out in in our world? It's sort of like the application part of his, the conclusion and application part of his sermon. A good, a good story uh, is exciting, I think, to most people. I think the way that we're wired as human beings, um, we're wired in such a way that we like stories. We like a good, a good, a good story. And I, I like to, because I think this is probably the English major in me, but I like to think about stories and what actually makes them good. If it's a good story, if it's a bad story, I can think about what makes it bad. But like to think about a good story and how it actually works itself out and why it's good. And something, one thing that um, makes a good story is a lot of contrast, especially with the characters, especially with the characters in the story. Um, If you have boring characters, if you're writing a story, or if you're watching a movie and the characters are boring, you're probably going to be bored. That's the way that this works. There are a couple things that you can do if you're if you're writing a story if you're watching a movie you're looking to to make characters not boring and one of those things is to simply contrast them to put them in relationships with other characters to bring out different uh different elements of their character when contrasted with a character who has a different personality how does this character react or, or when put in a situation where someone thinks differently about the world than this character, what, what is the resulting conversation that happens? Or what about friction or conflict between two characters? What does it reveal about the characters in a story? What does it show us about their worldview or their personality types? Or how they respond when things are difficult or when things are good? So by contrasting characters in a story, what you ultimately are doing is clarifying who these people are. Clarifying who these people are. And this works itself out in our own lives too. Um, You have relationships with coworkers, your spouse, your brothers and sisters, your parents. um, And the way that those people are and the differences that you have with those people put on display who you are as a person and the bents that you have and the directions that you're oriented. Think about some popular literature, um, Star Wars, obviously. Um, uh, it, when we first meet Luke Skywalker in, in A New Hope, we, he meets Obi-Wan Kenobi pretty early in the film. And through the con- contrasting uh, of these two characters, we see that Luke Skywalker really knows nothing about the galaxy. He knows nothing about the Force. He knows something about the Empire, but he doesn't know much at all about what's going on. Whereas we see Obi-Wan, who really has a good understanding of what's gone on in the galaxy. And as the story unfolds, we know that Obi-Wan Kenobi has a lot of understanding because he's experienced a lot of things. So we see the contrast, the contrast between Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi and how one is very green and how one has a lot of road in behind him. Uh, think about Pride and Prejudice, um, Jane Austen novel. Um, when Elizabeth Bennet meets Mr. Darcy, we're pushed to believe that Mr. Darcy is a prideful, he's an arrogant individual um, because of a, 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 a comment that he makes about Elizabeth from afar. You begin to see like th- this is who these characters are and, and how they interact with one another and why, 
why that's important. And what makes Pride and Prejudice not boring is that the characters aren't boring. Um, they're, um, they're really uh, well-developed characters because they're put in a lot of situations with other characters where we get to see their various sides. You get the idea. But what, is, what does Jesus do here? Jesus does something similar here in chapter 3, in verses 17 through 21, um, where he uh, indicates or begins to create contrast for us. He begins to create contrast for us to help us better, better understand our situation. Remember the threat last week, the, or the menace, is the menace of sin and death. To better understand our situation and to better understand his mission. Jesus creates contrast here to help us better understand our situation and his mission. And he uses some pretty common words and opposites, really, um, by using the language of light and darkness. Light and darkness. You see why contrast is is so vital here. Um, An understanding of why, uh, why the light and the darkness are different. And so this morning, as we look at these verses, I want to think a lot about verses 19 through 21 um, and think about, because that's where he introduces this concept of light and darkness. But just ask three simple questions as it, as it relates to what Jesus is communicating here, because the idea of light and darkness is going to come up again in John's gospel, and it's going to come up repeatedly. It's, this is not the end. There's going to be a lot, of, a lot of light and darkness conversation and if you read in the, in the New Testament further on in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, you'll see light and darkness language going on all over there as well, as well as in the, it's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout, all throughout the New Testament in particular. And so we just want to ask the three simple questions. First, what does Jesus mean when he talks about light? What does Jesus mean when he talks about darkness? And then what does that mean for us? Why is it important for us? Let's just ask these three questions and see how Jesus unpacks this for us here. Uh, first question, what is the light? Verse 19 is the, the first place he introduces it here in this section. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So there are two things I think that we need to understand about what Jesus means when he says light. It means two things. Now, light is obviously the, the thing by which we observe the world around us, right? If it was completely dark in this room, we couldn't see anyone or anything. We couldn't see uh, the person to the left or the right. We couldn't see our hand in front of our face in complete darkness. But uh, Jesus uses this metaphor to begin to show us how we should see the world or the means by which we should look at the world as those who are followers of Jesus. And those who are followers of Jesus move the direction of the light. And so what Jesus means is two things here. First thing he means is himself. Jesus is the light. He himself is the light. And this makes sense because of what he says in verse 19. He says the light has come into the world. The light has come into the world. Previously it was not, now it is. Jesus is here now in the incarnation and in the in Jesus taking on flesh. Uh, he has come into the world. The light has come into the world. In a few chapters, when we get to John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, Jesus will say very simply, he's just going to say it, I am the light of the world. He's going to say, I am the light of the world. The world. And so when Jesus starts talking about light and darkness, we should assume 
we should believe that Jesus is referring to himself in some part. But we also need to see that there's another angle of this, what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not only talking about himself, but he's talking about the message that he brings. Jesus is talking about the message that he brings. The message that Jesus brings is the light. Now, we can't actually separate the man from the message in this instance, but there are going to be different ways that this works itself out, and especially how Jesus wants us to apply this truth to our lives. And so we need to note both that Jesus is the light and that the message Jesus brings is the light. The message is this. It's the gospel message that Jesus came to redeem a people for his purposes. The message that Jesus is going to die for the forgiveness of sin and the message that Jesus is going to grant eternal life to all those who the Father gives to him. So, apart from new life in Christ, which comes through this message of the gospel, you cannot know God because you are not given the light to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God has laid out beforehand. And you cannot see the message that Jesus has come for the forgiveness of your, your sins. Jesus makes God known to us, both in himself, he is God, and through his message, the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians would say it like this. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, if the light that God shines is not shown in our hearts, then we will not have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We will ignore who Jesus is and what he came to do. We will, uh, we will turn the other way and we will head into what Jesus calls the, the darkness. So Christians then are called to walk in the light, to be moving toward the light. And we're going to, I'm going to hopefully unpack what that all means in, in a little bit here, but I'll give you a little bit of a teaser. So in 1 John, the first letter that John writes uh, later in your New Testament, in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That, okay, I, I wasn't going to chase this. I chased it in the first service, so I got to do it in the second. Um, that verse gets hijacked sometimes um, to mean something like, if you live an authentic and transparent life, then your relationships will be good. That's not what John is saying. And that's not what Jesus is saying here either. Um, authenticity, being who you are, like the Disney philosophy, um, be yourself, like that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that, um, that you should walk and conduct yourself. Everything that you say and everything that you should do needs to be uh, run through the filter of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. That's what this means. This is what it means to walk in the light to take everything and to uh to to think about it in light of in light of for lack of a better term in light of everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done there should be no part of our life that is compartmentalized outside of that thing this 
This is your Sunday morning hour, right? And then you've got your Monday morning tomorrow. You go back to work. You've got the things to do. You've got things on your plate. Um, how is it that the person of Jesus Christ is going to affect the moment now? And how is it going to affect it at, at 11.24 on Monday morning? And how is it going to affect it when you get to Thursday afternoon and you're saying TGIF because it's, thank God it's Friday. And then, and how is it going to affect literally everything in your life? That's what it means to walk in the light. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. We have fellowship with each other. We have unity and we have uh, the ability to uh, live in harmony with brothers and sisters in Christ when we live in light of who Jesus is and the truth of his gospel. That's what John, 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 means and what we should uh, have in the back of our minds as we uh, think about the remainder of this, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. There is no part of your life that Jesus is not Lord of. Walking in the light means acknowledging and honoring Jesus at all times, without exception, and applying the gospel to every situation. Again, I'll, we'll actually work that out a little bit when we ask the question, what does this mean for us? But for now, um, we want to be walking in the light. The light is the person of Jesus and his message. So if we've got light, then we've got darkness, right? And so that leads us to ask the next question. What is the darkness? The darkness here is the absence of light. It's what is that which the light of Jesus and his message has not touched. So what does Jesus say about the darkness? Again, look at verse um, 19. The people loved the darkness rather than their light, the light because their works were evil. This is where we see contrast, right? Where we see the con- con- contrasting ideas and where it begins to create clarity for us. Light and darkness are contrasting. They're opposites. What does Jesus mean when he says, the people loved the darkness rather than the light? What he means is that when Jesus came into the world, people encountered Jesus, they were faced with a choice and often made the wrong one. They uh, did not love the light or did not walk in the light. They did not come to the light, but rather they loved the darkness. They did not walk in the light, but they continued to walk in the darkness. And this is an active choice that Jesus communicates that these people make. The truth of Jesus Christ and his message of the gospel does two things. It either moves you towards him or causes you to run from him. Now, this is really black and white um, because Jesus is saying you, you either are going one direction or the other. You're not neutral. You're not at a stop. You're going one direction or you're going the other. Um, and this is frustrating to me as a person because I've been accused of being a black and white person, but I certainly don't like it when other people are. Um, it, 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 it rubs up against, because when you add nuance, when you add gray area to things, that, then it gives us excuses. It gives us excuses. Jesus, though, he is black and white. Um, Either you're moving toward the light, like he says in verse 21, when he says, whoever does what is true comes to the light. Coming to the light is one possibility. Or you're, what he says in verse 19, loving the darkness rather than the light. Um, 
Jesus doesn't propose a middle ground. He says, light or dark, love or hate, that, that's pretty black and white. And again, that, that, that doesn't leave any room for nuance. It just is what it is. You're moving one direction or you're moving the other. And he's very clear about it. We just ask, how, how do we know that we, so like, let's do some self-assessment then. How do we know that we, as those who claim to follow Jesus, are moving one direction or the other? Um, it's right there at the end of verse 19. Their works were evil. Um, Jesus says it pretty clearly in Matthew 12, verse 33. The, uh, the tree is known by its fruit. Um, and throughout the New Testament, Jesus is always making metaphors like this. Like, look at the evidence in someone's life, and it will tell you what they believe. The evidence should attest to the fact that they say what they believe. If that doesn't exist, then you're moving one direction. What, what our lives produce is that which we are known by. Does the fruit of your life communicate that you walk in light or darkness? Like, how, how do I know, right? Okay, so I think our culture sets up a, a, long, a laundry list of things that oftentimes um, that create a, a, a set of criteria that we think means that we're living a fruitful life. We talk about productivity. We talk about affluence. It's a new car in the garage. It's a new boat on the lake. Um, it's a, the ability to take a nice vacation when you want to. It's uh, personal happiness, peace, personal peace. Um, it's a life that has largely avoided suffering. Um, it's a life that uh, has good physical health. Um, that's what our culture would say that is a fruitful life. Now, now, what the Bible communicates about fruit in our life is something different. Think about the fruit of the Spirit that Paul tells us about in the book of Galatians. He says that it's uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When people look at your life, are these evident in your life? They say, wow, they, they have this stuff or they have these character qualities that are produced through the work of sanctification of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Um, what about a life that is marked by love for your neighbor? In, in Luke chapter 10, when the lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him, who is my neighbor? And, and, and Jesus tells him that he, he uh, or that first that he should love his neighbor as himself. And then that leads into the Good Samaritan when he asks, who is my neighbor? But the reality is that your neighbor is a clearly defined person. If you live in a neighborhood, you have neighbors. Do you love them? Or are you annoyed by them? Um, this is a, the, the fruit of a life that has moving towards or coming to the light. Um, not only your neighbors, but Jesus says specifically in the Sermon on the Mount that we should love our enemies. Who are the people who really are annoying you right now? Who are the people who you wish wouldn't be part of your life? Um, those are the people that you are called to love. And the fruit, of your, uh, the fruit of coming to the light is a loving the people who, who appear to be your enemies, who be, appear to be... And in the same breath, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, those who come after you in your, your life. Are you actively praying for those people? The, the prayer, a prayerful life includes praying for people who, who are actively opposed to you. 
This is what it means to come to the light and to have the fruit of that be evident. A life that is marked by thinking of others more highly than oneself. We could go on and on here. I, I don't mean to belabor this, but the truth is here that, that we should be looking for a fruitful life that is marked by holiness, set-apartness, not one that is not one that appears to be fruitful by the standards of the world. And when Jesus describes those who love the darkness, he's not just talking about everything that's really bad, right? So like we look at the Ten Commandments and we see a handful of things. He's not just talking about the thieves and murderers and liars and adulterers. He's not talking about just those who promote abortion or who think gender is non-binary. or All of those things fall into the camp of what he says here are evil evil works, he says at the end of verse 19. But Jesus, if you look at all of the things that he says throughout the Gospels, then we have to begin to understand that those who love the darkness are also those who just simply ignore brothers and sisters rather than extending love and care. Um, He's talking about those uh, who smile and shake hands on a Sunday morning but spend the car ride home gossiping about the people who they, they looked in the eye. He's talking about those who choose not to serve others because they don't have time or because their situations or the, the, uh, the, the circumstances are imperfect. He's talking about those who wallow in guilt and self-pity and, uh, and excuse their grumbling and complaining. And he's talking about those who are always critical and never understanding. These are showing those who are moving or loving the darkness and not coming to the light. Um, we like to veil things a little bit and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Um, the thieves and the murderers and the liars and the adulterers. And Jesus says, no, that's you exa- are exactly that. Loving the darkness is ignoring Jesus in his message and his word on how we should live. So we've already begun to do this a little bit, but let, what does this mean for us? How does this actually work itself out? And simply put, I just want to say this. Um, Come to the light and walk in the light. Um, we don't need to overcomplicate this. Um, we need to see everything in our lives the way that Jesus sees it. Either coming to the light or loving and remaining in the darkness. So coming to the light. Come to the light this morning. If you, if you choose not to, you're, you're just walking further into the darkness. Um, and the question though is how? How, how do we come to the light? If you're like, tell me how I should do this. Um, three things that I come out of this text. Three things for, for us to do together as a body of believers in Jamestown, North Dakota in, in uh, April of 2021. Three things. Uh, first, come to the light by faith. Um, you, we need to be actively pursuing the person of Jesus Christ through the word of God throughout the week, in order that we might believe that Jesus is who he says he is. If you expect to think and believe and have faith, but never enter into the word of God, you will never, uh, you will never get there. Jesus is the one who he says he is. He is the author of creation. He is the author of life. He is God. I'm just saying things that we've already seen in John's gospel. Jesus is sent by God to redeem his people. 
And we must believe that Jesus does what he says he will do. Not only is he who he says he is, but he does what he says he will do perfectly, with complete integrity. He gives life when we are spiritually dead. He gives us ears to hear the words of life when we are spiritually deaf. He gives us the strength to obey his commands by sending his spirit. We walk in the light by faith. Second, though, we walk in the light by acknowledging and honoring Jesus at all times in everything. The reality of our lives is that we're not sitting down uh, in a chair with perfect quiet at all moments reading the Bible, right? Like we are in the world and we're active, we're doing things, and we're going about a life that God has prepared for us. So we need to be acknowledging and honoring Jesus at all times in everything. And the best way to think about this is just to think about something that didn't go your way this week. Think about something that was hard. Um, It's 4 p.m. on Friday and your boss dumps a a whole bunch of work on your desk, right? That's frustrating. Um, Maybe you did poorly on a test you took or your kids wouldn't take a nap. Um, Or uh, you got a call that a family member is sick or dying. Think about your decisions and your responses to the things this week that were hard. Did you run to God in prayer when things were difficult? Or did you try to do it alone? Were you frustrated by your weakness? Or did you embrace it because you gave, it gave you more opportunity to trust God? Did you see your suffering as a way to identify and to follow Jesus? Because he suffered and died in your place. We walk in the light by acknowledging and honoring Jesus at all times and everything. Thirdly, and this is the final thing I'll say, uh, we walk in the light by applying the gospel, the message that Jesus brings to every situation. To every situation. The message that Jesus brings is the light that he came into the world. Um, in the upper Midwest, we're practical people. <laughs> um, we are self-reliant, we're frugal, we're hardworking, we're private. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, but that's, it's very similar the way that, that we operate here in North Dakota. But we walk in the light by applying the gospel to how we live. Um, we like to hang our hat on frugality as, uh, as North Dakotans. And we say things like, uh, when someone says, hey, that's a nice so- such and such you have, you say, um, yeah, I got it on sale, right? Um, we tell people uh, how much money we saved. Um, and, uh, and oftentimes, we, we mistake our frugality for a word we like to use, which is stewardship. Uh, the Bible is clear that we have, all that we have been given is given to us by God in order that we do something with it, and that something is to love and to serve others. Everything that we have is meant to be redirected towards other people. Uh, Good stewardship, according to Scripture, isn't burying money in a bank account, um, but rather it is uh, giving freely and generously for the benefit of others and the church. And so when we apply the gospel to our personal finances, what we need to do is consider Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What that means is in Christ you've 
received an eternal, eternal inheritance that can't be taken away from you. Everything for all of eternity will be provided for you perfectly in every moment that you absolutely need it. And that inheritance is not, is not subject to stock markets going up and down or inflation. It's hidden with Christ in God and uh, can't be touched by anything on this world. So the gospel frees you to give everything you have, all the resources that God has given you, including personal finances, because what awaits you in eternity really makes a million dollars in a 401k look pretty stupid. That's the long and the short of it. We walk in the light by applying the gospel to how we live. Do we use uh, the gospel... uh, or do we apply the gospel to the use of financial resources, giving to the church and to others freely? Or do we veil our movement further into the darkness under the language of good stewardship and frugality? Or, or think about the freedom that we have from sin in Christ. Uh, we, are, we are told very clearly that that freedom from sin should be used as an opportunity again to love and serve other people. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what we're called to do with the freedom that we have in Christ. The Constitution is a wonderful document, and it gives us the ability to gather here this morning. Thank God for that. But, but also, we should not use the freedom of religion that we have and the freedom that we have in Christ from sin to indulge ourselves. We should use it to serve other people. This is the application of the gospel to uh, our freedom of religion, to our personal finances. If you're here this morning, you're faced with a choice. It's this. Walk in the light or love the darkness. Again, we like things to be nuanced. Like if you just say, hey, Jesus. Well, and then there's this gray area. That's, Jesus doesn't present it. There is no gray area here, and we like the nuance because it gives us an excuse. If there's a gray area, we can ultimately ignore Jesus and his commands to still our screaming consciences. If what Jesus said is kind of like, yeah, take it or leave it, right? Then we don't really need to worry about what we say or how we respond or what, what we think about throughout the course of the week. Good intentions are all that counts, right? But Jesus isn't nuanced in the slightest. Light and dark, love and hate. This is the contrast and it adds clarity. Here's the good news this morning. If you're living in the darkness, if you're moving that direction, ignoring Jesus, ignoring his message, know this. God is gracious and kind. He is merciful and patient towards you. He is abounding in steadfast love. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Return to the Lord that he may have compassion on you and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to pardon you through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you've drifted into darkness in areas of your life, the call is clear. Come to Jesus. Come see his message. Reflect on it clearly this morning, so that it may be clear that your works are carried out in God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead strengthens you. This is the gift of God to you in Jesus Christ this morning, that your works are carried out in God and are clearly 
on display in you. Let's pray.